Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. Joining me today, I'm so excited, is the CEO of Life Center Northwest, Kevin O'Connor. Their logo is working together to save lives through organ and tissue donation. And I love this mission statement. A future where no one dies on the organ transplant waiting list. High quality tissue grafts are available to all in need. Every donor and donor family is honored and all employees are inspired and empowered to realize their highest potential in service of our mission. Thank you for joining us. Hi. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about Life Center Northwest? Sure. Life Center Northwest is a is a nonprofit organization. Our uh, mission uh, is, as you described, we exist to help people in need of replacement organs and tissues. And we also work with families of patients who die and can become organ and tissue donors and eye donors to help them through their navigate that process at the time of their loved one's death, be able to leave with a, a sense of um, having a, a legacy uh, from their loved one who's actually had the opportunity to save and heal other people's lives through their gift of life. Uh, throughout the Pacific Northwest, including the entire state of Alaska, all of Montana, most of Washington State, and the northern uh, nine counties of, of Idaho. And we work with every hospital in those four states every time there's an opportunity for organ tissue or eye donation. Wow. And here you're located right in my building. Yes, we are. Okay. I've seen people in the elevator with coolers and things. We do periodically have, um, have uh, blood specimens or tissues or even occasionally kidneys that are being transported from the donor hospital to a transplant center here in Seattle wow, uh, or elsewhere, a transplant center outside of Seattle. Now, I have, since I was, I think, 11, I got contacts, and I was going in for a contact appointment. I lived on Whidbey Island, and we had to go all the way to Anacortes, Mm -hmm. and they called just before we left, and they said, hey, don't come in. Doctor has to do an eye transplant. Sure. And my mom was like, oh, freaked out. I, I mean, I was fascinated. And from that moment on, I wanted to give anything away I could when I passed. And I was so glad when the driver's license thing came out because then nobody had to guess. They would know right away that that was my plan. Can we talk a little bit about myths? Mm-hmm. And I know one of them because I would always tell anyone who would listen that I wanted to be an organ donor and they would say, oh, if they know you're an organ donor, they're not going to try and save your life if you get in a bad car accident. Right, sure. Well, we, we know that that's a, uh, a belief that some people have, but in reality, um, the, the healthcare team in the emergency room and in the hospital is not aware of someone's uh, desire to be a donor or not be a donor. That, that information only becomes available much further along in the hospital stay uh, if and when the patient reaches a point where any further uh, attempts to uh, salvage their, them would be uh, unsuccessful. And at that point, it can be determined whether or not they had previously indicated their wish to help others through organ tissue and eye donation. That is really good to know. Yeah. That's my new answer. There you go. Do you, what are some other myths? Well, I think there are some myths that there are major religions that oh. are opposed to mm-hmm. um, organ and tissue and eye donation. And again, that is absolutely not uh, factually correct. All major religions throughout the world are supportive of uh, organ tissue and eye donation, really as being the final act of altruism and generosity mm-hmm. and helping your, your fellow uh, humans as you depart this planet. That's another myth that I think uh, can be debunked. What is organ and tissue donation and why is it so important? Right. Well, I think you know much of the attention in the media goes to solid organ donation, so kidney transplants, liver, heart, lung, etc. But there are many, many more people uh, who are waiting for a replacement um, tissue graft. So that might be some sort of connective tissue to help uh, restore their function, uh, after, say, a sports injury or a traumatic injury. Uh, we there, Nowadays, um, it's possible to transplant um, nerves, uh, to, uh, corneas, wow. um, heart valves, uh, skin, 
bone, connective tissue, pericardium, the list goes on and on. And so many people out there who aren't necessarily at risk of dying, but whose life and health would be substantially improved with this uh, ability to receive a tissue graft um, can benefit from tissue donation. But I do want to say, uh, with respect to organ donation, there are well over 100,000 people in the United States today who are waiting for that phone call mm. uh, that there's been an organ located for them. And uh, most of those patients are actually waiting for replacement kidneys. Those are patients with end-stage renal disease whose kidneys have stopped working. So in order for them to continue to be alive, they need to be on uh, dialysis. And, of course, it's far preferable to receive a kidney transplant. That way you're no longer chained to dialysis. Yeah. Your quality of life improves, as does your probability of surviving for a longer period of time. Can you be alive and donate Tissue? No, tissue donation. We, we, we talk about there's two types of donors. There's mm-hmm. a deceased donors, which is what we're talking about in the case of tissue donation. And there's living donors. And of course, there's a growing number of people who, uh, for a variety of reasons, all in the interest of helping others, sometimes people they know, sometimes people they don't even know, can donate one of their kidneys, for example, since we have two kidneys. So last year, there were about 7,500 kidneys transplanted from living donors. So the donors of those organs are still alive and well today. They just have one less kidney than they did a year before. And is that a real lifestyle change for them? There's a growing body of uh, knowledge about the outcomes for Mm -hmm. those patients. And they actually do... Uh, on the whole, do do really quite well. We um, f- are fortunate uh, in some cases uh, to have uh, more than one organ, and in <laughs> this case, uh, most adults can get by quite well and have the same uh, you know lifetime experience and and quality of life and health. Uh, whether they have one kidney or two kidneys. Facebook now, you're seeing more of that where people, you know, someone at the coffee shop gave a kidney. And I think that it's so great when they tell those stories because in the past, you've always thought, well, it's when you die. So to think we can be a living donor is wonderful. Absolutely. So you told us how many people are waiting for a life-saving organ. You said Mm -hmm. 10,000? No, over 100,000. About close to 120,000 are waiting. Wow. Today, over 2,000 waiting here in the Pacific Northwest. Really? Yeah. Right. So we take our mission uh, very seriously at Life Center Northwest. And I mean, we every day, without exception, uh, 24-7, 365, we're focused on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping as many people as we can in need of replacement uh, organs, replacement tissues, and replacement uh, corneas. Mm-hmm. And so that's what really sort of keeps us going. We're inspired by the uh, the donors and their families, and we're inspired by the patients uh, who are willing to undergo those operations uh, to get a second chance at, uh, at life and renewed health. Does it everything go through Life Center? So like if I had a friend that needed a kidney and I wanted to help him, would we come to you first or how, how does that work? No, actually, no. Uh, we are the intermediary between the transplant programs that perform the organ transplants oh, okay. and the donors who are located in the donor ho- in, in hospitals. We refer to them as donor hospitals. Um, so for example, there may be a large tra- metropolitan trauma center where a patient comes in after a motor vehicle accident, and they may have a non-survivable head injury. In that instance, they would uh, the, the hospital would co- contact Life Center Northwest, and then we would send a team out and take it from there up to the point of where we transfer the organ to the transplant program. But if somebody wanted to be a living donor, they could reach out to um, any one of the, their local um, uh, kidney transplant programs. And that information is available to them uh, through a number of websites, including the um, United Network for Organ Sharing website, which is unos.org. UNOS.org. How does the organ donation process work? Sure. It's a great question. So as I said, um, unfortunately, most people who end up being deceased organ donors, their death was unexpected. Unlike many people who die in this country, 
after a period of time, sometimes months or even years, with the knowledge that they're slowly dying. Patients who become deceased organ donors generally left their home in the morning um, not expecting to not return. And so these are patients who suffer either traumatic injuries from motor vehicle accidents or other head trauma or patients who have a non-traumatic but non-survivable brain injury, like Mm -hmm. a stroke, for example. A growing source of organ donation are patients who have um, uh, cardiac arrest outside of the hospital setting. They're resuscitated in the field, but they come to the hospital, and unfortunately, the the, the lack of oxygen to their brain uh, renders their brain uh, not salvageable, and they're declared brain dead. Oh, interesting. And I know next month is National Heart Month. Right, Donate Life Month. Actually, would be uh, would be uh, April. Oh, April yeah. is now, okay. next month. Maybe uh, may, there may be something related to the heart as well yeah. in February. But April and there should is, be. It's Valentine's Day month, right? Yeah, so. And so April is do, like Donate Everything Month. Right. Is that yeah. awareness? Yes, then you're is. coming back in April. I would be happy to. <laughs> <laughs> and who is eligible to be an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Yeah, again, that's a great question. And the answer is is that that is uh, is is very dynamic and changing all the time. So if you were to ask me this question, say, 10 years ago, I would have responded in a way that would have limited the number of people who could be uh, donors, whereas today we're actually looking at uh, things like age. We don't treat as a fixed limit uh, anymore. So somebody up to the age of 75, 80, even 85, if if all else was uh, was within normal in terms of their organ function, they could be considered a suitable organ donor, really? at least for some organs, especially livers. Livers mm-hmm. can be recovered and transplanted from patients in their 80s, and they can do quite well. For tissue, again, the so-called maximum age or the criteria by which we select to in or out donors uh, is, are continuing to, to increase. There was recently a study that looked at the, compared the outcomes of uh, cornea transplants for when the donor was between the age of 65 and 75 compared to donors under age 65, and the results over five years were really identical. As we learn more, as we we expand the margins, and today really um, there's very few what we would call absolute contraindications or reasons why somebody couldn't at least be considered a potential organ tissue or eye donor. And what's the best way to let somebody know you want to be a donor? Is it the driver's license or? Right. Well, I think, first of all, it's really important that your loved ones know of your intent. I mean, that makes all the difference in the world. But in addition to that, you can now register your intent to be a donor through uh, you know, online uh, donor registry. That serves as legally binding uh, permission to proceed with your donation. So in an ideal world, your loved ones who would be with you at the time of your death are well aware that you wanted to be a donor. And in addition to that, you bet you are in the donor registry. That would be the, the ideal situation. But the, absent yeah. that, you can go to lcnw.org for Life Center Northwest. When you get to our, our homepage, uh, on the upper right-hand corner, there's a link that says register here. And oh. anybody can go online and do that in a matter of minutes. How long have you been doing this? 35 years. Okay. Say the last even 10 years. Mm-hmm. What have you seen as the as the biggest change or difference? Yeah, well, I, I think a, a few things have changed, and it's really exciting uh, one is is that the technology uh, that, that we use to preserve the organs from during that period when they've been removed from the donor and are have not yet been implanted in the recipient, uh, we're moving to much more dynamic ways of preserving the organs so we can actually have the organs preserved during that interval at uh, normal body temperature and allow them to continue to function outside of the body so that we can evaluate whether or not they would work well in the transplant recipient. And that's a huge step wow. forward. Uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago and earlier, we really, um, once the organ was removed, it was put on ice in sterile conditions, obviously, and and we didn't have any opportunity to learn anything more about that organ during that preservation time. But now we can actually observe the organ's function and see whether or not it's improving 
or if the function is uh, declining, that helps make better decisions about whether or not organs should be used. The ultimate goal here is to is to help people, and the way we help them is replace their diseased organ with a uh, with a healthy organ that will prolong their life and let them return to a relatively normal lifestyle. Yeah. As far as the people waiting, mm-hmm. how does that work? For instance, if if you're on the top of the list and you live in New York, yeah. and somebody donates here on the West Coast. Right. Well, in general, organ allocation policy distributes organs within a reasonable geographic proximity. Now, there are exceptions to that, but um, all else being equal, most of the organs from, say, the New York City area would stay in the the eastern part of the country. That's not to say all of them would, and actually there's an evolution in, in allocation policy towards broader geographic sharing because as the technology improves, what I just described to you, the ability to preserve organs for a longer period of time that opens up new opportunities for us to share organs more broadly. And ideally, we would direct the organs to the patients who are the, uh, in, in the most need medically and also would have the best likelihood of having a long uh, and healthy life after the transplant. And so new technologies, innovations in organ preservation, changes to, to allocation policy are all moving us in that direction of being able to distribute the organs virtually anywhere in the United States. Amazing. Now, I heard this podcast, person who's trying to create drones. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, there's some early, very early experience with actually doing that. I know mm. there was the the, uh, the first uh, successful transport of a kidney happened in uh, Baltimore, Maryland uh, last year at some point. Really? And the organ was placed uh, in, a, in a sterile container, secure in a drone, and that drone was directed from the donor hospital rooftop to the transplant center rooftop and where it was picked up by the team, brought wow. to the operating room, and the patient did quite well. Um, so there's no question, just like we'll see uh, more and more use of drones for other things like package delivery, mm-hmm. there's no doubt in my mind that uh, drones will be one of many uh, innovations that will uh, loom large in the future of organ donation and transplantation. Boy, that is so fascinating. What would you say to someone who has thought about it, they're a little bit skeptical? Well, I, I think um, a couple of things. I think it's helpful for people to understand the facts, which are the, even the opportunity to be considered to be an organ and tissue donor is relatively rare. Not everyone who dies can be an, a tissue donor because one thing is you an organ and tissue donor because you need to die uh, within the hospital setting. Oh. And people, I don't think, necessarily are aware of this, but last year we had close to 3 million people die in the United States, but under 1 million of them died in the hospital setting. So right there, uh, it's only one in three chances that at the time of your death you'll even be in a hospital, and if you're not in a hospital when you die, you won't be able to be an organ donor. Really? That's number one. Number two is you have to have that type of, of non-survivable brain injury, either traumatic or non-traumatic, uh, in order to be eligible for consideration. So to even be considered as a potential organ donor is is very rare. Less than two in a thousand deaths are able to be considered for donation. So if you should find yourself in that situation, the knowledge that you can actually provide life to many, many other people, life and improved health through both organ donation and tissue and cornea, Improve vision. I mean, imagine yeah. someone who's, uh, whose sight is restored. I mean, it's, 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 it's incredibly to think about being able to make that kind of a change in somebody's life. I really think there's very few people walking on this earth uh, who would choose, if, with, if they knew what so much good could come from their yeah. choice, who would choose not to do that. Explain to me the reason, which this is new to me, that if you don't die within the hospital setting, they can't use. Right. Well, once uh, death has occurred, once this, your circulation has stopped, your organs and tissues begin to deteriorate. Mm, okay. And so so the in order for us to, to be able to have the, the short time frame that we need to recover the organs and tissues while they are still you know, biologically viable, mm-hmm. um, it, patients need to be in a hospital setting. What about in the ambulance? 
Well, if you're That's, if you're in an ambulance on the way to a hospital, that would be okay. That counts. Okay. <laughs> and I just want to revisit again because I think it's really important what you said in the beginning when I we were talking about myths that people and I'm talking to Kevin O'Connor with Life Center Northwest and what people think, oh, they won't save me if they know I'm an organ donor. And tell me your answer to that again, because I just want to make sure if somebody's just listening now. Sure. Well, again, no one on the healthcare team, no one who's working in the emergency room or in the ICU or the operating room is aware of somebody's registry status um, until uh, we get to a point where there is no further recourse that can save their lives. And at that point, the discussion of the possibility of organ and tissue donation is introduced, and that's where the uh, organ procurement organization like Life Center Northwest has a, has a secure, you know, password-protected access to an um, electronic registry where we can actually um, do a search and see whether or not that individual had indicated prior to the death that they wanted to, to help others through the gift of life. Great. So do you hear that? They w- don't know, so they will save your life if they have the chance. Oh, I mean, I, even speaking uh, from my perspective, mm-hmm. I, I would far prefer that no one ever died and that everyone kept their own right. organs. I mean, that w- that's the ideal well, world, but it's not yeah. the world we, we live in. And unfortunately, in spite of the fact that we have tremendously successful uh, trauma care and health care in general in the United States, some situations are going to result in, in a death. Mm-hmm. And it's only in those situations which we wish would never happen, but they do happen, right. uh, that, that at least something good can come of that. It, it, in this instance, it's something good for other people, but the knowledge, the family is left with the knowledge that their loved one was able to help others at the time of their death. And that can be like gold for these families. We, we send letters to the families afterwards to let them know the outcomes, not in very detailed, specific right. uh, ways, but let them know, uh, thanks to your, uh, your husband's generous gift of life, you know, there's a, a grandmother in... Uh, on the West Coast, who was able to take her children to, uh, you know, uh, whatever she might have, wherever Disneyland. she Disneyland. Disneyland, there you go. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so, Aww. but we, we'll meet these families. We stay in touch with these families, and they, they'll come up to you, and they'll pull out of their, their wallet or their purse a, uh, a folded-up, yellowed copy of a letter that they Aww. got 10 years ago to say, I carry this with me because it, it's a reminder that, um, you know, my, my loved one's death was not in vain. I saw a video the other day, a family that their little girl had passed. She wasn't very old, two or three, and they had made that hard, hard decision. And the video was really about the family. But what I noticed was all the staff in the hospital and how they just came around that family. They didn't hurry them. When they took her down the hallway, all the nurses were standing Along the wall. Along the yeah. wall. And I'd never seen anything like that. And I had to turn it off. I was just bawling. It was just when I read your mission and when you said honor, I get goosebumps because that's yeah. what it felt like. Yeah, that actually that what you just described is what we refer to as an honor walk. And that's becoming very much uh, a standard practice throughout hospitals throughout the United States. And it's an incredibly compelling and moving tribute to the to the patient who is going to the operating room to give the gift of life to others in need. And uh, it's very helpful for the family members who oftentimes accompany the patient down Mm -hmm. the corridor to see that um, not only those that were caring for their loved one, but the entire hospital, those that are able to leave their post will come down and line the walls. Sometimes we've seen, you know, several hundred people along the corridor on the way to the uh, operating room. So honor walks are are, uh, becoming increasingly commonplace and it's a tremendous opportunity to truly honor uh, the life of 
the donor and yeah. the gift that they're giving. Because that's such an incredible gift. And I noticed on this video, there was a couple patients that peeked their heads out and they jumped in the line. Right. Somebody who was videoing was singing Amazing Grace. Now, I don't know if that was family or not, but you could just sure. hear smatterings of it as, as they went along. And it was, this is the most terrible thing. Right. But here's the beauty of it, and it's that mixed emotions. Do you have counseling for families? Oh, absolutely. And when, when we're in that, um, when, when we are there in a hospital setting with a family who is losing a loved one, we really recognize that we're, at, we're, we're walking on sacred ground. And the fact that the family is allowing us in to, their, to this very personal, very intimate uh, time in their life, um, we are tremendously... Uh, grateful and respectful and caring and compassionate. And our focus is really on helping the families through that process. And in addition to that, so we have specialized staff, they're master's prepared staff who have expertise and, and education in working with families going through acute grief or in other emotionally uh, charged circumstances in a compressed time frame. And uh, But in addition to that, we have uh, probably one of the best in the United States, what we call an aftercare program. So we have four or five now full-time dedicated staff there. I like to refer to them as angels on, mm. on earth uh, because they're so caring for these families for months and even years after after the death of their loved one. So we stay in touch with the families. They become part of our community. Uh, mm. We put on um, um, celebration events uh, every year, two of them in Washington, one in Alaska, one in Montana. Really? And we have hundreds, in fact, approaching 1,000 now in western Washington of family members who come to celebrate oh. uh, the, 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 the gift of life that their loved one gave. They're wow. really, really beautiful, moving uh, events. Oh, that's In fact, awesome. I'll make sure I, I send you the information so you can come to the one in Western oh, Washington this year. I would love that. Thank they, you. Another thing that hospitals do to honor the uh, donors and their families is they um, fly Donate Life flags on the flagpole outside of the hospitals. This, again, is becoming standard practice. And so if you're near a hospital and you see a flag that's, flying outside on one of the flagpoles that says donate life that's in tribute to the uh, to the memory of the uh, patient who has died and who has given the gift of life to others oh that's so fascinating i think oh i was think what i was thinking about was if i for instance my family knows that i i want to donate sure. but it's it's going to be hard for them right you know i mean they'll do the right thing but it's still hard so right. it seems like that that's kind of where the work is mm -hmm. in you know helping them find the place where they can be really okay with. Right. And one of the things we do to that exact point is that we, um, we provide every donor family with a quilt. We, have, we work with a group uh, that, that, that does this for us uh, at no cost. They make the quilts, and then we do handprints of their loved oh. ones. So they have on the quilt, among other sort of uh, you know, squares that are uh, just acknowledging the gift of life, there's also the, uh, we left, they're left with an imprint of their loved one's um, hand and they, these families absolutely treasure these quilts. I mean that you, uh, they're, they're, they're they're priceless to these families because it's a tangible, physical, um, you know, uh, memory of their loved one and that they the fact that they were a hero at the time of their death. Oh, I love that. I love that. So, how can people help? They can be a donor. Right. You can register to donor to to donate and go to lcnw.org to do that. Um, you can talk to your loved ones about your intent to donate at the time of your death. Um, and you can encourage others to have those discussions and to, um, and, and to be uh, supportive of the uh, efforts to increase the number of people who can donate and who can benefit from those gifts of life. Because there are, as I said, over 100,000 people today waiting 
for that phone call to say, your life will be saved. You'll have a second chance. Do you take financial donations? You said you're a nonprofit. We are a nonprofit. We, we, don't, we don't have an active fundraising uh, arm. Uh, we, uh, we, we're not about um, making money. or we, we cover, We're able to cover our costs uh, through our normal business model. And, uh, Wonderful. For those that, that are interested in donating, I mean, on our website there is a channel for that, but it's not something that we actively pursue. Okay, and one more thing. I could go for an hour. Do you have any kind of, like we have April where there's an awareness month. Is there any kind of awareness programs? or We try through social media. We try through our website. We try through every electronic means and other means to sort of publicize the um, the fact that there is a huge need right now, um, and there will always be a need uh, in this country and throughout the rest of the world. Uh, the rate at which people acquire diseases that uh, that need uh, their organs to be replaced will always exceed uh, the, the rate at which people can donate organs to help those people. So it's a never-ending drumbeat. We like to say like we're climbing a mountain, but we'll never get to the summit. Oh. We just have to keep climbing. We have to keep putting one foot in front of the other and go. And so the more people that we can help that can join in that effort, mm-hmm. um, you know, the many hands make light work. Right. And we're all one big community here. Yeah. <clears throat> many, they, they actually, there's recently a, a paper published um, this month that shows that the likelihood of somebody in the United States needing a solid organ transplant is six times higher than the likelihood that they would become an organ donor. So that just shows you that, that it actually, in terms <laughs> of probability, you and I and everyone else are more likely to end up needing an organ transplant than to become an organ donor. So if we can all contribute by indicating our desire to donate at the time of our death, it helps the entire community um, elevate um, itself and, and increase the likelihood that those people in need of transplants will receive them. And if you are on board with this, tell everyone you know, encourage everyone you know, share this podcast, because the, just that staggering that there's 100,000 people waiting for, yes. and that's just the United States. That's correct. Well, I can't thank you enough for being here. Thank you so much. And we'll look forward to having you in April and uh, talk about this more. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening today. And we hope you've learned something. I know I have. (laughs) Join us next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community.